Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you, Jesus. We honor your holy presence today. I ask God that in our time together over these next few moments that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would fall in this room. That Jesus would be revealed to us. Just like Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, he said that I will receive the crown of righteousness not just for me but for all who have loved his appearing and Jesus when you reveal yourself in a room our hearts come alive when you reveal yourself to us it is what makes our hearts awaken we love your appearing God we love your revealing Jesus It's why we exist. It's why we breathe. It's why we wake up in the morning is to see you revealed in all of your glory. We bless you and we honor your holy name today. In your precious name I pray. Everyone said. I I promise I'm not sad. That's not it. This is going to be Emily and I's last time here with you as um, the campus pastors in Cleveland, but this isn't a sad moment. I, I feel the most alive I think I ever have in my life. And I think it's because specifically what we're going to talk about today, I believe is just the most important thing that anybody can ever talk about. But it is the, it's the title of my message, if you want it. It's the knowing, the knowing and and what i believe is just the most important thing for a believer is to position your life to know god you ha- like to position everything about who you are to know the lord and we we talk oftentimes especially in, in these times how the days are getting darker the days are getting darker has anybody kind of seen that right it's not hard to to realize that the days are getting darker and darker, but the beautiful thing about our relationship with the Lord, and we can see this played out at the Last Supper where Jesus is with his disciples, and he tells them, hey, take, take this bread, drink this cup, this is my body. There is a significant, a significant moment with him and his disciples where he has intimately connected with those closest to him. And that very same moment is his darkest hour. It was his, the beginning of his passion, of his suffering. And it's a prophetic picture that says when the world is growing darker, us Christians have an opportunity to see Jesus revealed in an ever-increasing way in our life. Like in these dark days, I believe that the people of God are going to be more connected to his heart than we've ever been before. It is this like, it's this, it's this like, I don't know, this polarizing effect that as the world goes toward darkness that he's revealed greater. This isn't a hopeless situation. This isn't a, oh my goodness, the days are just getting darker. Yes, they are getting darker, but at the same time for us, for you and me, his glory is being revealed. And as a Christian, we have to position our life to know the Lord. So if you have your Bible, 
just grab your Bible with me for a second. We're going to look at some scripture verses, and I promise I'm going to do my best to be brief here today. Um, but I want to show you this verse that has completely changed my life. Um, and I want to encourage you to do your best and to memorize this scripture verse, okay? And uh, I know, I don't know, you guys are smart. You can memorize stuff. Don't give me excuses. <laughs> We can't memorize scripture. You guys can know this verse before you leave today, okay? This is easy. Um, John chapter 17, verse 3. John chapter 17, verse 3. This is where we find Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. Remember the story? He's, he's sweating drops of blood. He's in agony over what is to come. And this is the prayer that he prays to the Father. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Jesus doesn't speak idle words. He speaks, and every word is intentional, and it's specific. And he could have said anything here. He could have said, and this is eternal life, that you will live forever in heaven and get to do whatever you want. He could have said, and this is eternal life, that one day you'll walk the streets of gold. He could have said any of that. He didn't. He said, and this is eternal life, that they might know you. We, our concept of heaven is, it's a really nice place that we get to move to when we die. And that's true, but it's not complete. The most important thing about heaven is that it will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord is that now, in this moment, we see only partly, but when we get there, we'll get to know him as we are known. And this is the beautiful thing about heaven. This is what we have to look forward to. And the, and the amazing thing is that we don't have to wait to get to a place to begin to know God. That he is revealing himself, and he has revealed himself, and he will continue to reveal his glory to us so that you and I can experience eternal life now. And this is, this is the verse that has been my north star. It's been my compass. It has been the, the reset button for my Christianity because how many know that it's easy to get caught up and distracted with other things? It's easy to get caught up in fighting other battles and other wars and getting consumed with the woes of life, but do not for a second forget the most important thing that you exist to do is not to fulfill your purpose or your calling. The most significant thing you're here on this earth to do is to know God. That is your purpose. That is your calling. That's why you've been created, is to know him. So my idea, the, the kind of thought for this message that we'll talk about, it's, a, it's more of a prayer, but it's simple. It's may my life be full of the knowledge of God. My, may my life be full of the knowledge of God. If I don't do anything else on this earth, at my funeral, if they don't say, oh, he was an amazing pastor, he was an amazing husband or an awesome preacher, those things are great, and I don't care if they say them. What I want to be said of me when I die is that he knew the Lord. He knew God. And I know that's what you want as well. So let this be your North Star, your compass that brings you back to God. 
There's a scripture verse in 2 Peter that I want you to see. I think it's so incredible. We oftentimes, we forget the most beautiful thing about this verse, but we, we say this, that as the scriptures say this, that as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So everything that you need, and, and this is what I'm trying to emphasize today, that from this place of knowing God, everything else in your life makes sense. Every, you've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness, watch, through the knowledge of him. Not, not through the knowledge of the Bible, not through the knowledge of your religion, not through the knowledge of your, your purpose or your destiny. Through the knowledge of God, everything pertaining to life and godliness is yours. And I say that because I don't want you to misprioritize what I'm talking about today and say, well, I have to focus on being a really good husband or I have to focus on being a really good employer or this or that or even a good athlete, you know, some amazing athletes in this room. But, but if you were to do this one thing, everything else that you need in life flows from this place. When you see God, when you know God, that, that being your one goal, everything else makes sense. Your marriage gets better. Your relationships with your kids improve. Your, your, your ability, your education, whatever you're pursuing, your purpose, your destiny, all of that stuff, it flows from this place. And so what I want to do today is quickly give you three things, three ways to know God. And, and my goal is to help really explain, <laughs> if you can't explain such an incredible topic as knowing the Lord, is to explain what you and I can do in our life to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And there's a couple things I want to share with you. So the first thing, you ready for the first one? The first one is that we have to, if you want to know the Lord, you have to honor the word. You have to honor the word of God. The greatest tragedy in church today is that a lot of Christians' Bibles are gathering dust on their nightstand. That is the greatest tragedy. We treat the Bible, the Bible has been treated by, by some as a self-help book, even as, even as there's churches across the world that preach the word of God in a way that is designed to improve your life. This is what the Bible says about running your business. This is what the Bible says about whatever. And it's designed to improve areas of your life. That is not why we have the word of God. The scriptures, all of them, from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, all of them, every scripture verse points to Jesus. Before the word of God helps you improve any area of your life, the word of God is a, see, what are those little holes in your door called? Those little, are they like little peep holes? That's a super creepy name. Anyways, <laughs> the word of God is like a peep hole that you look through and you don't get the full picture because we'll never get the full picture until we see him. But the word of God, all of it, it's like a glimpse at Jesus. It's our way to look through this little hole and to see pieces of his glory and to say, oh my goodness, that's what you're like. That's who you are. That, that is, period, what the word of God exists to do. 
Does it help us in our marriage? Does it help us in, in all these different areas of life? Yes, of course it does. But, but before it does that, it is a window by which we see God. And it has to be treated like that. Every time you open the word of God, your primary question is, Jesus, where are you? Can I tell you something? The word of God is not like, I'm going to be nice. We look for ourselves too much in here. This isn't about you. You're not David fighting Goliath. That's not who you are, okay? You're the scared Israelite standing on the, on the hillside that is too afraid and powerless to do anything. That's who you are if you want to find yourself. Jesus is David. Like, like the word of God, you know, you read the story of Noah and his ark, and it's like God's just, you know, he's, he's making my, me float on my problems, and I'm not going to drown in the flood. Like, no, this is not about you. Noah and his ark is not about you. The ark is a symbol of Christ, and anyone that is found in Christ is safe from the judgment of God. This has nothing to do with us. Everything in the word of God points to Jesus. It points to him. And every time we open up the word, we have to find Jesus. It's our primary goal. Oh, let's skip past that. I'm going to skip around a little bit if that's okay. Let's go, to, let's go to Exodus 34 if you have that. Exodus 34. Okay, just pause there real quick. I don't have the scripture verse in there, but there's a scripture verse in, in James chapter 1, verse 25. And, oh man, this scripture verse is crazy. James chapter 1, verse 25, it says, somewhere, I'm not going to look it up, but I think I know it. It says, um, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Those words there are so, so important. It says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. That phrase, but looks into, is translated in other areas of the Bible as stoop. To stoop. It's the same word that's used when Peter and John go to the, to go to the tomb, and the Bible says that they stooped down and looked into the tomb. It's this action of, of getting low getting low and examining something carefully. And what James is saying to us is he's giving you and me the posture in which to approach the word of God. He's giving us the positioning. He who stoops down and comes and approaches the word of God in humility, in carefulness, and holds his precious word and looks carefully into the scriptures. This isn't somebody who just reads one verse and then goes to work and forgets what he read. This is somebody who dives into the scriptures and looks carefully. Like, like this, is what Jesus, this is what God prophesies through the mouth of Isaiah in, in Isaiah chapter 66. Actually, let's go there. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 66 if you have it. We're going off script today, but I just feel like the Holy Spirit really wants to do this. Sorry. He kept me up all night, so this is your guys' problem. It says this, Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 and 2. It says, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where is the, like, watch the context in which God is speaking, right? This is so incredible. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of 
my rest. So he's saying, I, I am God. Where are you going to fit me? Where am I going to go? You can't contain me, right? And then he says this, for all these things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord, but on this one will I look. So he, he's, he's speaking to Isaiah and saying, where will my, my presence rest? Where can you contain me? Everything my hand has created. And then he interrupts himself and says, but there's one place where my presence can rest. He says this, but on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. It's the same picture that we see James speak of when you stoop down. That word poor does not mean financially poor. It just means humble, humility. On him who is humble and of a contrite, a broken heart, a broken spirit, and who approaches the word of God in holy reverence and fear. On this one will I look. You want to contain my presence somewhere? You can't build a building large enough for me to rest, but I'll rest on you if you approach me the right way. This is, this is how we deal with the scriptures. This is how we approach the holy God as we come to him in his word, stooped down low in humility and say, Jesus, would you please reveal yourself to me? Like I, my desire is that we, we flip the script on this narrative that says 18% of you, when you go home, 18% of you will actually open up your Bible this week. That's the, that's a real statistic. That 18% of Christians, when they go home from church, they will open up their Bible. The rest, they won't see it until next Sunday. You cannot, and I'm going to make some very definitive statements, and they're accurate, and you can question me. We can talk about it later, and that's fine. But you cannot know the Lord if you don't read the Word. You can't. I, I don't care. Like, I know people. I know people that say, I don't really read. I just, like, I just turn on worship music, and I just kind of vibe out to the worship, and then, like, the Lord, you know, he connects to my heart. That's fine, but you don't know who God is. You don't know who you're connecting to. I just spend time in prayer. I don't really read the word. I just like praying a lot. I speak to God all day. And so he just tells me about himself and I don't really get, I don't, I don't need the Bible. Listen, I, those people, I love them, but I will never trust you. You don't know God. I don't care how many years you've been just worshiping God. It doesn't matter to me. If you don't know the word of God, you do not know God. If you don't know the scriptures, you do not know God. End of story. That this is the way we know him. This is the window that we see him through. And if you don't look through that window, you don't know who you're looking at. It's what we have to do. And, and, and when I say read the word, I'm not talking about just, like I said, read one chapter and then, you know, go to work and do it. You, you have to consume the word. And I want to challenge everybody in this room. I can make these challenges to you because I'm about to leave and you can't do anything about it. <laughs> I want to challenge you, though. Reading a verse, reading one chapter, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. You don't take a bite of a cheeseburger and then move on. You eat that whole thing. It's not enough. And I, like, I love, and I, the intentions are pure, but I've heard this so much from well-meaning pastors and leaders, like, just put a scripture in your pocket. Like, just read something, right? Read something. That's kind of the, the staple. Like, please, just read something. And that's fine, and I get the heart of it. But no, you have to consume the word of God. You should at least, at minimum, be reading three chapters every single day. And not just reading it. 
I'm talking studying the word of God. Like getting into the context of what's happening in that time. Getting into what these Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic words mean. Like getting into the, the word of God being a student of it. And before you tell me you can't do it, listen, all my guys in here who just drafted your fantasy football teams, don't tell me that you can't do it. Because y'all spent hours toiling over all of these pointless statistics about these running backs and wide receivers, and you know the assistant coach, and you know everything about this game that's about to happen in a few hours. You know all the details. Don't tell me you can't memorize stuff. You can. You are smart. And your heart is in the things that you care about. Put your heart into the word of God. Ladies, I'm coming for you too. Because listen, my wife knows every single HGTV whatever star. And there's some people that you know more about the desperate housewives than you know about the word of God. Listen, I understand it. It might be inconvenient, but... If you want to truly connect your heart to the only thing that will stand the test of eternity, you have to read the Word of God. You have to get into the Word of God. We're not going to read this in Exodus because I'm already going a little bit too long. But in Exodus chapter 34, you can, you can read it yourself. Moses goes to God and he says, God, would you show me your glory? Remember this in, on Mount Sinai? God, would you show me your glory? And what does God do? The Bible says that he proclaims the name of the Lord. God walks by and he essentially tells Moses about himself. Moses asks the question, God, let me see you. Who are you? And God speaks who, you, who he is. This is the word that he has spoken to us. He has spoken who he is. And unless you know this, you won't know who he is. Everything in here points to Jesus. In fact, when Jesus says in John chapter 5, he's talking to the Pharisees and he says this, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Right? And, and this, is, this is a picture, again, of what we do oftentimes, sometimes, not all the times, but we take the word of God and we think that we'll get enough business advice that we'll be successful. We search these scriptures and we try to find life in these words, but, but this is what Jesus says. And these are they which testify of me. He's saying you're searching the scriptures, but you have missed the very person that these scriptures are revealing. It, like, think about this. The entire Bible is about Jesus, and these Pharisees know, memorize the entire Bible, but yet they missed the person standing right in front of them who all of the word is pointing to, everything. Isaiah points to Jesus. Moses pointing to Jesus. Everything is pointing to Jesus, and he's standing in front of them, and they they missed him. That's what happens to us when we read the word without trying to find Jesus. We'll find everything else. You'll find everything else in the word of God, and you'll miss him. You have to open up his word and find him every single day. Come on, let's go to the next one. This is the next thing that we we need to do if you want to know the Lord. We need to minister to him, minister to him. Man, I wish I could, I could talk about the word like all the whole time. So I don't know. I've tried so hard to think about like, how can I articulate this to convince you to read your Bible? Like I've tried to figure that out. I think my whole life, you know, pastors, what, what could a pastor say that would make you want to be like, man, I, I should read this, you know? And I've toiled over it for weeks. 
and I guess I just settled on this. I don't know what to what else to say. <laughs> I don't know, like I don't know what to do to get people to read their Bible. Like you, you have to just please read your Bible. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's point one. Please read your Bible. Okay, is that good? <laughs> Did that land right? Let's uh, let's go to First Kings chapter uh, seventeen. I want to show you this. What did I say? Minister to him? Yeah, that's what I said. Minister to him. Minister to him. This is how you know the Lord, man. This is so good. This is so good. Let's go to 1 Kings. Uh, I'm not going to read it. Here we go. We'll just read it here. This is a story of Elijah, and uh, there's this big drought going on in the land. Remember, remember this? Some of you might remember this, but uh, we'll, we'll read it. It's a little bit of scripture, but it's okay. We just talked about the beauty of the word, so we're going to read it now. Um, then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. That's a very interesting statement because widows, especially in the Bible time, they didn't have a lot of money. They were actually some of the poorest people in the nation. So when Elijah heard that from the mouth of God, I'm sure he was saying, God, is there not anybody else in this city that you could use to provide for me? It's kind of an interesting take, but it says this. So he, he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he had came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little cup of water that I might drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So this widow was very clearly in need, right? Amen? Everybody say she needed some stuff, right? So she had a need in her life. And she said, listen, I'm going to go and eat this last little piece of bread, and I'm going to die. And this Elijah's response is so funny. He says, and Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you, you, go and do as you have said. He's like, all right, you can go and die. But before you do that, listen, but make me a small cake from it first. Everyone say first. And bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. So he's just saying, listen, okay, you can go do what you want to do, but just give me a little piece of that first. This is what it says. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household ate for many days. How many days? Many days. Days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. This is a principle in which every Christian has to like get ingrained in their heart. Because I understand, and I'm not trying to make light of anything that anybody's going through, because I know the difficulties of life. I know the pain. I know the hurt. I know the needs that are present, even just in this room. But when we approach the Lord, our first responsibility is to minister to him. Elijah said this, Elijah said this, before you make yourself your final meal, give me a little piece. And her miracle, watch this, her need was met in her selfless act of laying her own need down and ministering to the man of God. This is the principle for us. When we approach the Lord corporately in worship, before we come to him and say, give me, give me, give me, give me, 
Lord, I need a miracle. Lord, I need provision. Lord, I need this stuff. God, I need, I need you to work. Do this stuff. God, do this, do this, do this. Before we treat God like a vending machine, we minister to his heart. Before we come to him and tell him all of the things that have gone wrong in our life, we come to him and we bless him. We, we, we honor him. We say, just like we did today, holy is your name, Jesus. Because here's, here's the danger. If we treat God like a vending machine and God gives us what we ordered, then this is what happens. We fall in love with the gift and not the giver. And Jesus is trying to show you something so powerful here. He's trying to show you that his presence is the answer to everything that you need. Well, no, I need more flour. More flour and oil is found in the presence of Jesus. And when you, if you can minister to his heart, what will happen is two things will happen. Number one is you'll realize that your miracle is in him all along. And number two, what you'll find is that he is better than anything that you'll ever get from him. The presence of the Lord is better than anything you'll ever get from him. Man, one, oh, geez, this is crazy. One of the, uh, this dear, dear lady in, in Cleveland campus, she's so, I love her so much. Her name is Desiree, and she is paralyzed from the neck down. She's in a wheelchair. And every Sunday, we pray for a miracle from the Lord. Every Sunday. Uh, every, every time I see her, I'm expecting her to get up and start dancing around. I do, every time, when we believe for it. And I preached this message there last week, and, and um, she came up to me afterwards, and she said, Pastor Dominic, she, I mean, she's just weeping. She said, she said, because she has been, she's had some very, very difficult things happen to her. When she was younger, her husband committed suicide, left her with three kids. She, I forget what she has, but she came down with some sort of disease that paralyzed her, so she wasn't always like that, and she's just suffered so much. And with tears in her eyes, she's looked at me and she said, I know the Lord because of my suffering. And I know that's not a I know that's not like a good thing to hear and we're going to talk a little bit about it a little bit later. But in that moment she said I I'm thankful for all that I've gone through because her difficulty has pushed her to Jesus. And what she realized in that moment is I might not have found my miracle yet cuz I believe she's going to find it on this side of eternity, but what she said is I found something much better much better and it's Jesus and this is this is this is the reality of of how we should minister to the Lord it's like what are you going to find what are you looking for are you just looking for a better life like that's great and and you find that in Jesus but but are you looking for something to satisfy the hole in your heart because I'm telling you your miracle won't satisfy it your miracle won't satisfy it. Jesus says this, we read it in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life. Not that you receive a miracle, it's that you know the Lord. Your heart comes alive when he reveals himself to you. And when we minister to him, what we find is that we find eternal life in his presence, and then we also find the, 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 the provision for the need that we have. I mean, Jesus says it in Matthew 6, 33. He says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And what happens? Everything else is added unto you. It's an, it's an addition, right? Like the, the miracles, the beauty, the benefits of life and God providing for us, that is in addition 
to the beauty and the majesty of knowing him. It's, yeah, you can add to it, but you can never like, and you can never subtract from your joy as a Christian if you do this. If you find God, your joy will be full. And if he meets your need miraculous, miraculously, that's an addition to your joy. But so many Christians are living this way. God didn't meet my needs, so I don't have joy. And we live in this subtraction. If you find him, you can't, your joy can't be taken away because he's so much better than all these things. Amen? Amen. Okay, we're going. Last one. You ready? Know him in obedience. Know him in obedience. This is, this is another incredible way. And, and here, let me just make this clear. This is a great way to know the Lord, but it comes nowhere close to, to reading your word. Like the, the first one, when you read your Bible, that's, that's, that's it. You got to know the Lord. That's how you know the Lord. Ministering to him, that's how you know the Lord. Like this, this lady, she beautifully, this widow, she got her miracle and she connected with the heart of the Father in her obedience and in her ministering to Elijah first. But I don't want to like conflate these three things. The word of God stands like all the way up here. And these are just some extra filler points for you, okay? So last one, know him in obedience. There's this, there's this story in the Bible that I used to be tripped up on so much, but I realized something that God does not owe you an explanation in the word of God. <laughs> like we try to make sense out of the Bible sometimes, and sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, I, I don't know, and only he knows, and, and, and man, I should still obey anyways, right? I had this conversation with my daughter and my son yesterday. I said, guys, I can't stand when you say why. Any parents love that three-letter word? Why, 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 why? Right, Riley? Right? And Judah? And Judah, they both love that word so much. Why, why, why? And I sat them down yesterday and I said, listen, and I'm trying to share with them. Daddy doesn't always have to tell you why, but it's not because daddy's important. It's because one day God's going to ask you to do something and he's not going to tell you why. And you're, you might not listen to him if he doesn't, if you get used to me telling you why. So I'm trying to teach them what God is like sometimes, right? So, so let's, read, let's read this. Genesis chapter 22. If you have your Bible, we're going to read a little bit. But this is the story of, of when um, Abraham sacrifices or almost sacrifices his son Isaac. And there's some incredible truths here. And, and what I want to share with you is that when you obey the Lord and you don't know why, and he doesn't fill that, answer that question for you, you know him, you come closer to the Lord because every act of obedience in your life reveals Jesus. Like the, the purpose of you obeying God is not so God can like just, just test you or make sure that you're listening. Like God's desire on this earth is to reveal Jesus. And he does that in so many different ways. But one way he does that is in the obedience of his sons and daughters. Because he knows things that we don't know. Like, I heard a story of somebody say, just really quickly, I heard a story of somebody, this lady was interviewing a, like a Satanist or something, and, and this guy didn't know that she was a Christian, but after the interview, she stood up and just gave him a hug. And she didn't say anything to him, she left. She felt like the Holy Spirit told her to do that, gave him a hug, and left. The next, that night, the guy says that I had a dream that Jesus came up to me and gave me that same hug, and I felt the same presence. He gave his life to the Lord in that moment. She didn't know why. She didn't know why. But the obedience that said, God, I don't want to hug the saintness right now. <laughs> but the obedience to say, you don't have to explain yourself to me. 
I'm going to listen. And it is in her obedience that Jesus is revealed. So in our obedience, Christ is revealed. And I want to show you how beautiful this is in the scripture verses. So in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. That sounds familiar, right? Who else had an only son that he loved? God. And God sent Jesus to this earth. That's the first way that Abraham, without even knowing it, this is so beautiful, there's no way Abraham could have known. There's no way he could have known that God was was reflecting what he would one day do thousands of years later. There's no way he could have known. But Abraham in that moment was prophetically declaring Christ. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. What did Jesus ride into Jerusalem on? That's incredible. And took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, how many days was Jesus dead? Crazy. Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. The cross was laid on the back of Christ as he walked to that hill, Golgotha. And he took the fire on his hand and the knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And this verse right here is where Abraham prophetically, without knowing it, without realizing it, proclaims the gospel of Christ. In this very verse, he says, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Abraham had no way of knowing that his obedience would be a prophetic spotlight on Christ. Why did God ask him to do that? I don't know. But what I do know is that Christ was revealed. Jesus was revealed. And without him knowing, imagine being Abraham and you're in heaven, right? And this is so many years removed from when God asked you to do this with your son and you're standing in heaven and you see Jesus and you see Jesus riding in on that donkey and Abraham saying, oh my goodness, we did that. Me and Isaac did that. And you see them lay the wood on the back of Jesus and he says, I did that with Isaac. And then you see Jesus climb the very same mountain that they climbed. Many scholars believe that Christ was crucified on this very same mountain. And he says, that's where I was with Isaac. God, I get it now. I see. I understand. I thought this was about me, but it wasn't about me. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And in this obedience, you were revealing Christ. This is how we identify with him, is getting ourselves out of the way and obeying him. I want to read this as one of the last verses here that we'll read. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. And this is how I believe we talked a little bit about suffering. There is in store for you, this is probably going to be the best news you hear all day. This is in store for you, there is in store for you suffering. Amen. Hallelujah. We love it. But I want to encourage you, okay? 
1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says, For to this you were called. <laughs> you were called to this, okay? This is what you signed up for, is what Peter is saying. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us a way out of suffering. That's not what the scriptures say. It says, leaving us an example. He suffered for us, not so that we could avoid suffering. He suffered for us to show us how to suffer. That you should follow his steps. And here's what I believe to be the pinnacle of suffering for a Christian. I do not believe that God sends sicknesses your way. I do not believe that God inflicts you with difficulty and pain and all of these things. It's not what I'm talking about. I do believe that we have a real enemy and we live in a fallen world. And these things happen as as a byproduct of sin and sin's entrance into this world. But I believe that God has called us to this suffering. The same suffering that Christ endured in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying and toiling and sweating drops of blood. And he says, God, will you let this cup pass from me? And then here's the key of his suffering. Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. Not my will, but your will be done. And it is in this place where we see the suffering made real for us Christians. It's this everyday process of saying, not my will, God, your will be done. I don't get it. I don't know why you're asking me to do this, God. I don't want to forgive that person. I don't want to go here. I don't want to listen. I don't want to do this. But I'm going to crucify my flesh in the same way Christ did in that garden and say, God, it is your will, not my will. And it is in this place of suffering that we know the Lord and drawn close to Christ. When you lay yourself down. There's too many Christians that refuse to die. We've preached a gospel that doesn't require you to die. It says you can just come to Jesus and you can just do your thing and do all of this stuff. No, every single time anybody met Jesus, they changed. They changed. I just read this story to my little kids, the story of Zacchaeus in the tree. The Bible says that Christ loved him. He, he, he ate with him. And then in the moment, without Jesus saying anything, Zacchaeus said, I'm sorry, take everything that I've done wrong and changed on the spot. The presence of God will always require you to die. This isn't a cop-out. This isn't a way out. This is what we're called to do. Amen? Amen. So last scripture verse, and then we'll close with this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. John writes, and he says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding, that we may know him who is true. Jesus has come and gifted us with an understanding that we might know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God, and he echoes the words Jesus said in the garden so many years before, an eternal life. John the Revelator encapsulates that, that, that scripture in John chapter 17, verse 3, And he says, echoing again, this is eternal life, that you live in the truth of knowing God. And like I said, I toiled over how to present this to you to convince you enough to make this your objective in life, but this is just all the best I have. So as you leave here today, my desire is that every single one of us would make this our North Star, our compass, our goal every day. And I'm 
I know there's a lot of things to do in life. There's a lot of things to do, problems to solve. But I promise you this. If you live your life to know God, everything else seems to work itself out. When you open the scriptures and you look in them and you find Jesus, I'm telling you, I, right now I'm looking through, I'm reading through Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is cool. That dry bone story is pretty cool. But outside of that, it's kind of whack. <laughs> Just being honest. And there's like 50 chapters to Ezekiel. And the dry bone story is only a very small part. So it's funny. Does anybody know any other story that's out of Ezekiel? Right? No. We just know. Yeah. We just know. Yeah. The four living creatures. That was, that was amazing. But what I'm finding this time around as I read through Ezekiel, I, man, I can't not find Jesus. Like every time I open, I'm telling, I promise you, every time I open it, I just, what did I read yesterday? I mean, I read something yesterday that blew my socks off. I won't read it to you. I'm going to, this is going to take me a minute to find it. But I'm telling you, like the word of God comes alive to you. When you're looking for Jesus, when you're looking for Christ, oh my goodness, you can't not find him in here. It's all about him. Everything's about him. When you open it, and you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to you, he's jumping off the pages. This is the life that we need to create for ourselves. So do me a favor, stand to your feet for, with me. I'll pray and then you can do what you want to do. Um, put your hand on your heart for me if you don't mind. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word, your presence, this time together. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence here with us, in us, and the objective that you have, the goal that you have here on earth, Holy Spirit, it is that you would glorify Jesus according to John chapter 16, verse 14, that you would glorify him. So we ask Holy Spirit right now, according to your word in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, that the God of our Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that this spirit of wisdom and revelation would rest on these here today. That every, everywhere they go, every time they open the word of God, every time they spend time in prayer and, and worship and obedience to you, God, that they can't help but know you more. With the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Would you fill our life? Would you fill our life, Jesus, with your holy knowledge, with your precious word, just as James spoke to us, as we, as we carefully look into the perfect law of liberty, would we come to know you more, Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you help us to obey you, to endure the same suffering that you endured, Jesus, in denying your flesh and picking up your cross? We love you and we bless your holy name. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Powerful word. Adrian, would you come up with us? I know it's a late in the hour and we're at 1230 campus, but no, that's okay. It was a powerful word. We needed that. Um, would you allow me to send Dominic and Emily off with your prayers this morning? Emily, would you guys come up? And then would our elders and some of our loved ones and Pastor Sue come on up? And um, we just want to pray over them. Send them off. Here you go. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Ooh, Jesus. 
Jesus. <laughs> oh, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for Pastor Dominic, and we thank you for Pastor Emily. And God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this amazing day, God. As Pastor Dominic said, Ooh, it's an amazing time and the feelings right now that you have Ooh, and all that's led up to is for time is now for time is now but know that God is not done God is not done that he's sending you to places and he'll send you beyond yeah believe that in Jesus name Lord, thank you. Thank you for the fire that's in both of them. Thank you for the fire, God, that they will bring to Texas. Thank you for the lives, God, that will be saved in Jesus' name because of that word. That word that's in Pastor Dominic, the word that's in Pastor Emily. I just believe it'll be a region that needs to hear what you bring. You bring a new word a new word, a new something, a new something that people are craving, God has already birthed it in you. God has already placed it in you. Lord, we thank you. God, we just, um, we apply the blood of Jesus over them and over their family, God. As they go, wherever they go, wherever they put their hands to, boom, it's going to happen. And it's even for a generation, God. I, I just see that like in that... Ooh, in that young generation of hearts that will be turned toward God, that are just sitting there like on a fence in the fields of Texas, not knowing where to go, they're going to come. They're going to come. And that's why God is sending you there because of the freshness. We thank you, Lord. God, we thank you for the legacy right here, Jesus. We thank you for our Pastor Mary right here, God. We thank you, God, for Pastor Adrian. We thank you, God. We thank you for all the generations before them, God, that has gone and has preached the word, God. And now it's like the baton is passed. The baton is passed to go above and beyond. So we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, God. We thank you, God, for this day that they go with blessings, God blessings God and we're going to rally with them because when they come back to visit we want to hear those stories of the realness of God of the signs and the wonders and the miracles we thank you Jesus we thank you for them God bless them Jesus in your mighty name amen amen You were, you were talking about Ezekiel. And there's one story in Ezekiel about the watchman on the wall. And the command was that if you see the enemy come and you don't sound the trumpet, the, the people's blood will be on your head. But if you see the enemy come and you sound the trumpet and they listen, they will be saved. God has put a trumpet in your in your hand and in your voice. And your call is to sound the trumpet 
so that people will hear and be delivered. The watchman on the wall. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we just anoint you today. We anoint you as a watchman on the wall. We anoint you as a voice to declare and worship before the Lord, to bring forth revelation from God's Word, to declare a clear sound, that the, vo- that the, the sound of the trumpet would be clear. They would know it's a warning to wake up, wake up, wake up. We anoint you today. Go forth fulfill the call that God has placed on your life. Hallelujah. Put your hand to the plow and push forward to the high calling in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the power and the praise and the glory goes all to you, Father God. We, we look to you to fill them, fill them till they overflow and touch everything in their presence, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you give them ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit of the Lord is doing. I thank you, Father God, that they walk in the path that you enlighten to them, Father God. I thank you, Lord, that they speak your word in power and might, Father. I thank you, Lord, that, the, that you use them, that your, your yokes, your yoke, not their yoke, not not people's yokes that they're burdened with, but your yoke would rest upon them, Father God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your Holy Spirit rules and reigns in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I just feel like you know, the tumbleweeds, like in Texas, I just see those, like, going. <laughs> Whew, Jesus. And as Pastor David was praying, I just saw those tumbleweeds, like, going and going fast. And so you're going to bring in such a wind to get this dryness out, but you're going to bring it, bring in the green. You're going to bring in the healing to where you go. So already, it's already started. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you all for your prayers. Thank you for your prayers. And we just love you, Dom and Emily. And we know that God's taking you to a very specific place, (laughs) place of your calling. So we bless you. Thank you for being here. Live right. Love everybody. Pray hard. And thank you for staying to pray.